We're taking a short break this week. We'll have fresh interviews with Australia's technology leaders soon. This is a continuing part of the CXO Challenge by itnews.com.au. I'm your host, Justin Hendry, Deputy Editor of IT News. On the show this week, we talk to Covermore Chief Information Officer Nikki Doble about the travel insurer's consolidation of IT operations during the pandemic. Nikki is spearheading the consolidation to standardise the different systems and business products used by the company's individual regional businesses operating in 15 countries. Thank you very much for taking out some time to have a chat about what you guys have been doing over the last year or so. I guess to kick off, I really want to get an idea of project. It seems like quite a wild ride during COVID. So yeah, can you take us through the project and exactly what you're trying to achieve? So I was originally brought in about two years ago to write the tech strategy to cover more. And obviously at that time, um, COVID hadn't even entered anyone's thoughts at all. And and what the business had wanted to do is they were operating in lots of different countries, lots of different brands, and they wanted to bring that to continue because they had that brand recognition, but they needed the back-end systems to work as a global brand. So I was brought in to do that tech strategy, and initially I had looked at it as a bit of a top-down approach. I mean, it's a pretty standard offering that you can get from the Tier 1 and Tier 2 players to write a tech strategy. But once I saw just the diversification in the regions, the different maturities that they had, the different ways the business had been merged over the years, it was really obvious that I needed to take a different approach and do much more of an organic bottom-up build of the tech strategy, which, which ultimately, I think, saved us a lot when COVID hit because it just gave us visibility and a very clear roadmap that I wouldn't have had if I'd taken a different approach. And and I guess one of the things that I've learned about the project is that you came up with an approach that was priced at sort of half the original estimate. How exactly did you go about that? How did that happen? Yeah, I still spent all my money because, you know, <laughs> I see people always spend all their money. Was that just, you just used it for other aspects? Yeah, look, we used it differently. Rather than that consultant come in and say, this is how, you know, a paint-by-numbers approach, we borrowed from, I guess, Agile and Lean methodologies, the same way we do software development and that we prioritised and we broke things up differently. So where we found things that we needed to remediate immediately or there's some no regrets decisions, you know, particularly around, say, security, if we found an old version of something or there were decisions around our CMS, around digital that, you know, I didn't need a strategy or the business didn't need a presentation to know that we had to address those things. Mm. So the money that we would have necessarily spent on enterprise architecture, we were funneling that away to do some of the remediation or some of the strategic work earlier. So things were running concurrently or in parallel to achieve that result, which, which Again, address some of those initial things very early, like the security things. Um, But it also meant that we were further down the strategy path than what we would have been if we'd taken a more waterfall approach. And I guess that would have been really important at a time like COVID when there was a surge in, especially in the early months, March and April, there was a surge in cyber threats. So that money would have really gone to a worthy cause, I guess. So to give you an idea of just how complex it was, we did our discovery process. We, We repurposed the cloud planning migration tool actually and we used that to scan our networks globally and we did some manual discovery i had 591 applications globally so for a company our size that's an enormous amount of applications and in some applications there are multiple instances you know i had 13 crms so when those cost cutting 
came through, being able to drop some of these things very, very quickly, of course, and being able to consolidate that software spend and, and do a lot of work with our vendors on global agreements or taking advantage of different offers that they had on at the time. I, I mean, we within a couple of months, we actually saved ourselves $7 million. Now, that equates to jobs. There's no other way to talk about that. So that was so valuable having that visibility of what we actually had going on at a very granular level prior to COVID hitting resulted in us being able to respond much better. So is it 13 CRMs, it's, it's a fair amount of CRMs. Um, uh, sort of business systems did you did you I guess find during that discovery process and I guess are you at a stage now where you've managed to sort of remove some of those or are you still working through that? We found lots of different things there's clearly been a few pet projects along the way of different people at different times that we just got rid of I'm a big believer in just turning things off they're not adding business value they've just got to go so we did that I probably reduced it probably by about we're probably at about 15% reduction of where we were 12 months ago. So just in APAC alone, you know, we dropped 50 applications. There was, like I said, some, a few pet projects. So I, I, I'm down now to around about seven CRMs. I think globally we'll probably get to around about four. I don't have the ambition to have one global CRM, but within regions I think that's where we'll get down to. So there's been that rationalisation approach, but at the same time the business is very much, getting ready for when travel resumes. So they're very focused on those global applications. So that strategy work identified obviously what we needed to get rid of, but it also made it really clear about what systems we were going to invest in, which systems we were going to move to the cloud and modernise and transform in that migration so that we had global offerings across our different entities, which you know makes it much more cost-effective than perhaps getting a brand new policy system and things, which, you know, in, in hindsight, <laughs> was glad that we didn't come up with because we wouldn't be able to afford that now. I mean, apart from security being an area in which you really, I guess, invested in as a result of saving that money, that initial pot of money, were there any other areas in which COVID sort of forced your hand on uh, in any way? Did you go hard and fast with the, the cloud shift more so? Or, yeah, were there any other areas in which you, where you changed your tack? Um, I don't know if we changed our tech, but we certainly sped some things up, like some of those cloud migrations and the landing zones that we needed to do. API library, that kind of got this massive steroid injection as to what we thought we would do for that space actually probably turned out to be about twice or three times as large in our ambition for it now. And I think for me, that's probably one that will continue to grow because that's going to change our business models. The other thing that I would say was, I guess it was a benefit of it, was that it made it very clear what the business strategy was. So when you've got businesses in different regions with different P&Ls, often they're competing about what's important and what system's important and what work needs to get completed first. One thing that COVID did was there was very much a collective ownership across the CEOs of how are we going to come together to get through this and manage our business through that. So as a shared service, that was almost a godsend because you don't in every day have so many people so singularly focused on a particular outcome when you've got those different competing priorities. You know, that was very beneficial and made it much easier for us to get through the work that we've gotten through in the last 12 months because it's been incredibly busy. For an industry that's just been absolutely hammered, my IT team's grown 
and <laughs> we all need a good nap. Like it's been tough. It's been very busy. Yeah, and I think that's been experienced across the board. And one of the areas and where that's really been the case is, I guess, call handling and the need to stand up um, solutions very quickly to deal with call volumes. You guys saw an 80% increase in call volumes on, on sort of the claim side of the business at the height of the pandemic. What did you do to handle this surge? Did you implement any uh, new solutions at all? There were so many things going on at that time. So one of the main things, as you said, was the call volume in the claim system. So how we were set up before, so we travel, we do travel insurance and medical assistance, and we've got a couple of different businesses that provide that, and they were all on the same TAVX in the data centre. So we were very nervous that we had never seen call volume like what we were seeing as people were, were ringing up and asking questions. that if the claim volumes got too high, we were at risk that medical assistance calls wouldn't be able to get through. Now, they need to be answered in 20 seconds. They're important to get answered. So I think we ended up doing it in four days because we tried to get our six channels increased, but, of course, everyone else was doing the same thing. So we ended up moving, um, in the course of four days, our claims call centre out to AWS Connect. It was a really complicated IVR, so the telephony guys, I, I don't think, slept for those four days, but we got it out there. And that was really good because we knew that our business was going to come back down. Like we lost 95% of our revenue in 30 days. This was all happening at the same time. So we knew that we couldn't go and buy something big and expensive because we knew in two months' time we were going to be cutting back costs or actually even less in two months' time. So, So those sorts of cloud solutions were very good because it gave us the ability to scale to meet the demand that we needed to at the time because we still had to meet customers' expectations. And then when the business tapered off, we were able to then bring that back in and then move to what our global solution was and we moved all entities across towards that path afterwards, yeah. What are you looking to now in in 2021? What are some of the areas that you'll uh, be progressing in this IT strategy of yours and uh, particularly around the the core system integration and, and cloud adoption? You know, a lot of last year's work hasn't actually been launched onto the market yet. So we've got some apps being launched. They hit the US market in March, April, and then they'll hit Australia June, July. And they'll be nice. They're, you know, they're the travel tracker kind of um, apps where we'll give alerts to customers to be able to see where they are and assist them, you know, emergency call buttons, all those sorts of things that people will want now when they travel when before they weren't that interested. They'll want that now. Mm. So it'll be nice to see that come to fruition and there's another big kind of global deal that some cloud work, you know, enabled because it's a very big company that was partnered with so we needed scalable infrastructure. So so that'll be nice when that comes. I think the bit that I'm looking forward to in 21 is that we're very focused now on what travel looks like afterwards. So I'm keen to spend more time and get more excited about what APIs and SDK can do for us in the business because... Travel is all, or insurance in general, treated like a grudge purchase. So I think it'll be really interesting to look at it differently because people's attitudes will change when they come back. But I think we're moving very heavily into product management frameworks, similar to the tech companies, and trying to think more like a tech company. And that will change what policies we sell or how we sell that to our customer rather than, you know, the way that we do it now. Insurance, I think, you know, not just, not just our group, just globally in, in just about every brand is still very much thinks like a bricks and mortar type of place. And the banks have moved ahead. I mean, the banks think like a technology company and I think insurance definitely needs to do that. And I think the pandemic's going to drive that. As an aside, I guess, 
what is the sort of the time frame that you're working towards? Is it October, November when the government's saying that most people will be, um, well, have a vaccine of some type? Or are you thinking it's more like 2022 by the time people actually gain enough courage to jump on a plane again? I look, I think <laughs> I'd jump on a plane now. I think a lot of us are, are, would just happily do it if we were allowed to do it. It's a tough one. And I think as a business, we were very much hoping that the vaccine would be, I think, optimistic, a bit, a bit of a silver bullet. But, you know, the different world governments aren't agreeing on which vaccine they'll accept and which ones they recognise and whatnot. So I don't think it's going to be as easy as what, you know, as individuals we'd all hope for for our own travel plans. So we're an insurance company. We, <laughs> we're paid to be conservative. So, so um, we're probably forecasting it's probably going to be more of the 2022 before we'll see our numbers come back to where we were. We're totally uh, very much expecting a huge swing when they come, but I think it's probably going to be a bit more drawn out for us than, than what we'd had all hoped. I think last year we were hoping kind of mid-year and, and then we've put that out to Q3 and I think probably government will start saying we're probably thinking Q4, Q1, 2022 before things come back to normal again. Mm -hmm. And I think also that will definitely depend on some of the the products that you talk about standing up that will make it easier for people to uh, contact you if if they need to claim something, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And your vaccine passports and all those. We all know technology is just boom through all of this. And I think the way we travel and the the support that you get and the, the different features that you have available to you will will just be so different Mm. to what it used to be. Yeah, that's for sure. And in terms of those products you're thinking of standing up increasingly over this year, will you be using a sort of a a mix of internal and external consultants or will you be really driving it home with um, insourcing uh, like a lot of companies are doing? Yeah, look, we've got some great strategic partners, but my preference is always in-house development when I can. I think it probably uh, appeals to the control freak in me a little bit, but I believe in investing in teams. And and that's something that we did when COVID hit and obviously budgets got looked at, but I I refused to let go of that training budget and we continued to do a lot of cross-skilling across our regions and skilling of staff. And and that's paid off now because anyone in tech will tell you, trying to pick up a full stack dev or trying to get an Android developer right now is, you know, so, so difficult because everybody's moving into digitization. So I'll continue to invest in our staff and doing things in-house because it builds their skills because that's going to give me the retention that I need to continue to be competitive because, you know, markets for those sorts of developers and, and cyber and privacy that demand's not going to decrease in the short term. So, you know, when you've got skilled workers, you really need to hold on to them and and make sure that they're valued and you're going to continue to invest in their development. And then, you know, bring in specialists when you need to, but certainly try and do it in-house first if you've got the skill set. I guess there's a parting question. I I want to know if you'd known something at the beginning of COVID, and also, I guess, before you started the consolidation of your um, IT operations, uh, would you have changed anything? Probably, I probably won't have prioritised a little bit differently. I might have gone a little bit harder on certain things knowing what was coming. Overall, I don't think we would have changed too much. The only thing maybe I would have changed, and I feel now that I think, oh, gosh, I wish I'd done that, is the product management 
methodology and getting the business more involved in that and us working together on that because that's where we're going to see some real changes in the future. So we're doing that now and, and we've been doing it, but if I had to change that, I would have gone really hard on that 18 months, two years ago so that the tech conversations about what we're building now would be different. But overall, look, no, I'm just so grateful that we <laughs> we had what we had in place. I feel very sorry and for companies that haven't had that roadmap because that would be very difficult to do now because things would be very sales driven now and very tactical in their approach. So we were just very good and fortunate that that strategy was there ready to kind of roll out as soon as times got tough. That was Nikki Doble, Chief Information Officer at Covermore. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.